Nicholas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to our new podcast in the series Riding the Waves of a Lifetime. This podcast series gives us the opportunity to interact, to discuss with maritime industry leaders who are sharing with us career and life experiences, as well as their unique insight into the industries, challenges, opportunities, risks, and direction. And in that context, I am really privileged and honored, I would say, to welcome Mr. Philippe Louis Dreyfus uh, with us. Uh, and he is going to be uh, the person that we will uh, discuss uh, with today. Uh, Philippe is so well known uh, throughout the industry. Philippe, welcome. And looking at your career, you have been a shipping banker. Good afternoon, Nicola. Hello. Thank you, merci Philippe. Uh, so looking at your career, you have been a shipping banker, a ship owner, an entrepreneur, an executive, a statesman, a paratrooper, and a recognized athlete. So quite, uh, quite a life story. So let me give a couple of details without going through your whole uh, uh, you know, career. You've been a banker with uh, Bank Louis-Dreyfus, with Bank Palace, and with Credit Naval. You've been a ship owner, executive, and entrepreneur, managing the shipping arm of the LD Group, uh, uh, Louis-Dreyfus Armateur, and you launched its diversification into a number of activities that we will talk about uh, later on. You have been a statesman, and you are a statesman, president of the uh, French Ship Owners Association, of the European Community Ship Owners Association, and BIMCO. You've been an athlete with the French team uh, champion in squash, in rugby, and you've been a paratrooper, uh, a paratroop officer in the French army. So quite, quite a long list of uh, notable uh, achievements. So let's start our discussion. Obviously coming from a family like yours, the question of how you got into shipping is self-explanatory but still not exactly because you were part of the LD group that had a lot of uh, different activities. So you chose to concentrate on the uh, shipping arm. You started as a shipping banker, then you went to Louis Dreyfus Armateur. So tell us how it all started and how it all evolved. In fact, I, I chose to get into shipping and at the same time, I did not choose. Uh, it's something which happens in some family companies. You feel uh, entitled or in any way obligated maybe to choose the way of your father and grandfather and grand-grandfather, the, the fifth generation now to six myself. It's a lot of time, 170 years. So you, you don't really put the, the, you don't put the question to, your, uh, to, to yourself. You, you just do it. And that's my, how my father decided it would be. So I got into shipping as soon as I came out of the army and my father was saying he uh, needed me to come and uh, urgently. So I would have stayed a few more years in the army. I would have liked that. I liked the life there. Uh, and when I arrived in the shipping, uh, in the family group, uh, it was soon for me to discover that I was needed, but uh, not really that much. Uh, so there was some kind of an ambiguity and uh, I thought it might be a, a, a better idea for me to try and fly my, with my own wings and uh, to do something else. And then I decided to join uh, the banking sector, uh, which I did at the first our bank in the, in the group, but uh, very quickly after uh, an outside bank headed by a very well-known banker called Pierre Moussard, who was the head of Paribas, and he created his own structure, and I went to work with him for 15 years, and I loved it. And I also make some money on my own, which is not the case when you're maybe in the family business. So that was satisfactory on both, on all, uh, on, uh, on by all means, uh, for, uh, uh, to do something on your own, and 
having been, uh, uh, um, how would I say, having been contacted by the state, by the French state, to become president of a public bank called Crédit Naval, who was in charge of financing shipping, I took that opportunity to know something about working for a public company, which is quite interesting in France, a very administrative country. Uh, so I had that experience and that gave me the idea to come back to shipping in my own group, but maybe with not the same uh, uh, experience, not the same will, not the same maybe uh, uh, strength I could put in uh, imposing or not imposing my views. So uh, I came back to my to shipping for a second time, some uh, 15 years after, to join the group of my family group that was in uh, 98, 96 and 98. Um, and I enjoyed it all the way. I, I, I arrived at a group who was almost 100% uh, transportation, bulk, uh, dry bulk transportation. And uh, now it's uh, dry bulk transportation. It's a really, I will not say marginal, but a smaller part of our business compared to the others, which is industrial shipping, logistics, and special uh, purpose uh, shipping. So that's, that's how I describe my career, being in shipping once by moral obligation and second by choice. And then by choice, I loved it all the way. And I've been in this company for now 20 or so years and happy to be there. I've transformed it quite a lot, I would say. And uh, it is uh, um, now really part of my life. And my, my son now is in charge with no obligation whatsoever. And he did work outside in, in London, in, in Paris and other companies before he joined. So uh, now the cycle is not completed, but at the end of it. Very interesting, Philippe, that you mentioned that uh, you started your career. I mean, I will not go, of course, to the French army paratroop years, which this must have been quite an experience, but you were a banker. You earned your wings before coming to the family business, to the shipping end. Uh, and when you took over, you really transformed it, as you mentioned. And I, I, one of the stories that I found particularly uh, intriguing was your spearheading uh, the uh, telephone company, uh, LDCom, that became uh, Neuf Telecom. So you have a banker who is going uh, into a shipping arm, transforming it into a number of activities beyond the traditional dry bulk business and starts one of France's biggest telecom companies. So tell us a little bit about it. In fact, uh, I am not an engineer by far. I did, I'm totally, I did a science politique and law and, and law. And uh, I was in banking before I joined shipping and, and the telecom company came from the shipping arm. Uh, it's a very strange hist uh, story. Uh, it's been since taught in uh, Harvard Business School as a business case. Uh, the um, sh shipping, uh, we, had an, we had already at that time the uh, experience of laying cables in uh, shallow water. And uh, a, a, a very large American group, American Telecom Group, MCI Worldcom, asked us to put some cables in La Seine, the river, you know, Mekala very well. And uh, we decided to, to accept that with, under the condition that we would uh, lay a cable for them and lay a cable for us uh, with all the fiber optics uh, uh, available for us to be rented or sold outside. So that's how we became a small telecom operator. And then happened the, uh, the, the big problem of the telecom world who, 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 who had a very, who inflated very much for some years and then there was a, there was a boom. And uh, we were able to buy some of our clients and we became a larger telecom operator, uh, larger and larger. And uh, then uh, we had a, a big partner, which was a second company in France called SFR. And we decided 10 years after the creation of LDCOM, renamed Nine Telecom, to sell the whole of it for uh, uh, at a valuation which was almost $9 billion. So 
in 10 years and putting a, a few hundreds uh, thousand, uh, a few, uh, sorry, uh, I think 30 million uh, in the company and we sold it on the valuation of nine. So billions, which is a very good success, which allowed us to uh, um, uh, compensate uh, some of our family members who wanted to leave the company and have their own life and their own money. Uh, my cousin Robert took over the trading side of the business and uh, took it uh, took it to to Switzerland, and I took over the shipping uh, and logistic arm and kept it in France. I'm French, uh, French family, and quite patriotic, so I kept it in in France as a shipping arm, which was a very stupid thing to do. Nevertheless, it was a, for me the, the only thing to, to to do as a French uh, citizen. But Philippe, when, when you took over uh, the sweeping arm of the, of the group, uh, as you mentioned, your core activity at the time was uh, dry bulk. So you engineered the diversification into industrial shipping, cabling, laying, oceanographic activities, logistics, and so on, which I think for the time was quite pioneering. I mean, it is interesting that you chose to go that way as opposed to going into buying tankers or containers or some, you know, or other types of vessels. Tell us a little bit about what prompted you to go that way. I was lucky, I, fair, and maybe some uh, some knows uh, 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 for the future. Fair to see that for a family company. Uh, Dry bulk transportation was, so it's not uh, original to say that, so volatile that was it, is it reasonable if you're a medium sized company in dry bulk compared to some of the Greek and compared to the growing Chinese uh, to stay in that thing? We were a lot in Cape size, and Cape size really made me quite afraid. The volatility and the fact that it would be more and more depending on the end users on the exporters and the and the end users and we would be squeezed one day which which has happened now we're all with we're out of cape size business it took us some time we sold our last chips uh, in the last week so uh, uh, we are keeping an arm in dry bulk in medium size in handy maxes uh, we are these are managed from singapore we have a fleet of 26 ships of of that size, Handymax, a special uh, uh, type, uh, quite performing in today's market. But this is our last, um, how can I say, um, foot in pure transport. And that when I decided to to try slowly to get out of dry bulk, it, at the same time, I believe I believe that we should get into industrial shipping, which would be maybe less uh, rewarding when the market is high but definitely safer to have long-term contracts with industries, with the B to transport Airbus, airplanes with Airbus to transport, to do cable laying vessels with Alcatel at the time, which, uh, which is now sold to Nokia. And we are still, we still manage to fit of nine uh, cable laying today. Uh, and also uh, I strongly believe in the future of logistics in Asia. Uh, now we employ uh, almost 2,000 people in Indonesia, uh, uh, 200 in Malaysia, and we do port logistics in this country. And our last baby is uh, quite operational today, is specialized ships to do the uh, um, logistics of windmills. Uh, we thought these ships seven or eight years ago. Uh, we had the idea, we didn't have them built because nobody thought they would be useful one day. People were a little... Uh, it had in mind that they could um, uh, um, maintain uh, windmills with a small uh, rubber boats uh, with uh, two, two people who were climbing big ladders to get on top. Uh, now they discover that they need very sophisticated, secure, and, and uh, high-tech ships. And that's what we offer now with uh, our last generation of ships. So we are totally now in industrial shipping with high value-added ship, value ships. Very expensive, but we, we make our money on the long term, not uh, uh, 
uh, as uh, it is in dry bulk where you could have, lose a lot of money for a few years and make enormous amount of money in one month. It is not how I see life anymore. Very interesting. And Philippe, uh, yes? the group as you described it is, is a large diversified group with a global footprint, but still, uh, Louis Dreyfus Armateur is a private company. It's a family-owned business. Uh, so tell us, what are the complexities and advantages of working, managing a family-owned company? And I think that can take us to our discussion about shipping being a family business versus... Exactly. I mean, I, I believe, I always say, I don't know the figures, but maybe, Nicola, you know them better. But definitely 90, but maybe 95% of the shipping company in the world are, are, are family. Definitely 90%. Would they be a Greek or French, uh, uh, but uh, Peruvian or Mexican or whatever? And uh, so there must be a reason behind that. And the reason behind that is that uh, the. Uh, sorry, thank you. Um, and the reason behind that is the, the fact that shipping is a risky, uh, risky business. Shipping is a business where you need a long-term view of things. And uh, take, taking the risk, uh, having the culture of seeing long-term, uh, 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 having a long-term view of uh, industry and, the, and business, and also having the capability of, uh, at the same time, having a long-term view, and at the same time, uh, being able to react very quickly to any kind of decision to buy or to sell, uh, you need to be uh, only, I don't see really large listed group being able to take have these type of reactions. And this is why I believe shipping is in the hands for the best or the worst, but for the best, I believe, of families worldwide, because they have this culture of long-term, this culture of uh, uh, risk and may, may, um, having, agree, having at risk their own money and, and, uh, and the culture being reactive and proactive enough to be able to take opportunities. You're so right, uh, Philippe. And actually, it's very interesting. A number of people are thinking that a family-owned business translates into inferior management, which is not the case because we have seen that a lot of the family-owned businesses, because of the fact that they have so much at stake, they have opened up to modern management techniques. Uh, the, um, the CEOs are graduates of Harvard Business School or other well-known schools, they call Polytechnique and so on. So being family-owned does not mean that you are sort in terms of management capability or, or vision. Absolutely. Uh, why? I think it's, well, well, it's well, pretty well known by bankers, by analysts that... Uh, globally family companies are better run than others and uh, uh, I know if the reasons are, are very pragmatic it's our money that we we, uh, we are very we, are, we keep a real eye on it and how we manage it but it's not only for that it is because family companies care about people have a long-term view and in today's world and I hope it will become more and more real in the future, these aspects of business, which is the human, the human aspect, the fact that a, 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 a company in, a, in, in a capitalist company, it's not only about shareholders, it's also clients, it's also banks, it's also all the counterparts, the states, the press, uh, the, the uh, ecosystem of the, uh, uh, of, the, of the company is not only the shareholders, and that, I believe, Family companies know it by heart, by essence, by guts. Listed company discover it later, and they do it by obligation for the uh, annual report. And they're not always all totally convinced about the reality. It's a little artificial. Not for family companies. It's, it's perfectly right and true and sincere in family companies. 
Of course, I have to say, Philippe, that uh, CapitalLink has the privilege to work with a lot of the uh, publicly listed companies. So we are lucky and privileged to be able to see the best of both worlds, the private and the public. Um, so, but going back to your comment, um, how does how much does company culture uh, matter in running a successful company such as yours? And is there a company motto that you have instilled to your team throughout the years and that the company follows? Uh, I would I would say uh, when I meet someone in, today for Louis Dreyfus and when I was uh, working in the, in the bank and I was hiring somebody to work with me, I was not the boss, I was one of the, uh, the directors of the, of the bank. I, I, the, I always said, enjoy yourself that's one thing you have to enjoy what you do and not do it by obligation but the main motto i think in the in the company in the firm same as in life is loyalty loyalty to company loyalty to people who get, from whom you take orders loyalty to your colleagues uh, under you uh, who wait who uh, uh, expect from you uh, to be sincere and to support them. And that's, uh, these are things, these are values which you learn in sport and which you learn in the army also. Uh, you can only rely on people uh, if you believe that they, they, they rely on you at the same time and vice versa. How long were you in the army, Philippe? Three, three years, uh, because I was, uh, in these days in France, you had, it was an uh, obligation, it was the military service was an obligation, but I added uh, uh, a few months to become an officer, and I added a few months to become a, a para-commando officer, and I enjoyed it very much. But exactly. my, my father had to, uh, had to ask me to come back to, uh, uh, to, to, to stop recreation and uh, uh, fooling around and come back, even though he spent six years in the army during the war, and he was a, a, a compagnon de la libération, which was the highest French equation given by General de Gaulle. Quite, uh, quite uh, an experience. So before we go to your industry uh, footprint, and you have a big one there, let me ask you uh, as a last question, more on the personal side, when you look back at your overall career, uh, would you like to share with us a couple of instances that you consider to be major challenges that you had to make decisions and uh, how you uh, cope with them? First, can I say, I don't, I do look back, everyone looks back, but I still look at the future, sorry to deceive you. Uh, even if I'm a rather elderly person now, I don't feel at all like an old person. So I look forward also, but <clears throat> looking back, when you say looking back, you look, uh, uh, you know, there was a, a Nietzsche uh, who said that the best, um, um, the best lesson to know the future is to learn about the past and not forget the, uh, the, uh, the past. Um, what I would see uh, are the big, uh, the, the, the big issues is shipping and in the sector of shipping, Nicola, you were asking me. In anything you want. Oh, yeah. These are things that uh, you felt were, were pivotal moments in your life that you had to So, be okay. So in shipping, uh, and I always, I, I, I took after I, I, I developed Louis Dreyfus Armateur in a new direction, like industrial shipping. I spent some time, as you mentioned, uh, at the head of uh, shipping organizations. And I always thought that reacting to the uh, to environmental issues would were very very important and still is more than ever with a big difference 15 years ago when i started at the armateur de france and exa shipping had a good image and we were the good the good guys uh, of transport and uh, even though some of us did a lot of efforts to try to keep that image good and to have shipping people being a little proactive, a lot of people in our, in, in our sector were dragging their feet on environment issues and the thing turned the other, upside down. Now we have wrongly, before we had rightly, 
a good image. Now we have wrongly, but we have a not so good image. We have a bad image. And that is very bad because it's, un it's, not, it's not realistic. It's not the truth, but that's how we lost the battle of communication. Uh, and a lot has to be done now. We want to get back in, in the good tracks and to become again a model and exemplary. So that's one uh, important uh, thing. Um, second one would be that uh, shipping in a way will need other people to invest, other people to come and join and, and create this ecosystem of shipping with client, banks, clients and all that. But at the same time, it should be left in the hands of shipping people. Sometimes the fashion allows financiers to uh, or make financiers interested or passionate about shipping. And these people, when they, when they have their wings burnt a little, getting too close to the sun, uh, they decide to get out and bail out and they leave uh, and, and they get out a bit. So shipping needs long-term views. And so my second idea would be a lot of the shipping should be less left in the hands of shipping people with a tradition, culture of uh, knowing that shipping is difficult, shipping is long-term view, shipping is ships, but people also, knowledgeable people, which you don't form in two, two weeks, needs a long time at sea. So this is, a, this is another thing which is important to me, I would say about uh, uh, shipping. Um, but focusing on what you just said, Philippe, clearly shipping is extremely important because it is the, the vein through which global trade flows. And I don't know really if the vast majority of people, if the broader audience recognizes the vital role of shipping in their daily life. But putting that aside, shipping is also an international business, a global business. So I think right now you have the challenge of how do you regulate a global industry with universally accepted uh, rules and regulations. At the same time, I mean, everybody talks about the IMO being the epicenter of the regulation, but at the same time, the reality is that you have regional or national governments that are part of this process and uh, they do have the opportunity or the ability to regulate by themselves. So how do we avoid this... Uh, plurality of, uh, of regulations, how can we come up with something that uh, can be applied throughout the industry? You're very right, shipping should be left to the shipping people, but at the end of the day, a lot of the politicians in Brussels are not shipping people, or uh, a lot of the politicians in the national governments are not exactly shipping people. So how can we reach a stage of global coordination? I think that is a major uh, challenge, and I don't know how to go about it. Shipping is, uh, I, have, I have the experience of shipping, have the experience of banking, and I could see, and I had the experience of ship finance in the, in the banking system, and I could see how shipping is seen uh, elsewhere. Um, what could I say about that? Uh, we are maybe the only global activity in the world which does not have a joint or unique uh, institution representing ourselves. It's amazing the number of organizations defending, sometimes in the, talking in the same voice, not always, defending the shipping interest and uh, activity. Uh, I don't know how we have, I'm not going to count them, a lot uh, from uh, uh, the IMO is maybe uh, the biggest is BIMCO, which I uh, chair, but it's not not everyone is at BIMCO. Um, but we have so many of these. Uh, we have XN Europe, we have uh, Intercargo, we have Intertanko, we have ELA, uh, we have uh, uh, Asian organizations. The in in um, in um, uh, um, uh, Transport uh, aérien. In the air, you don't have that. You have a, a one big 
uh, organization. And that allows maybe a, a more homogeneous position. But shipping it as it is, uh, we have a lot of things in common. Solidarity, we, we work very well together, but nevertheless, we are a very balkanized uh, uh, world. So uh, we have uh, this, uh, how could I say, uh, we are penalized by this uh, balkanization of our organization. And that's why we, uh, we, we have the risk of having regulations which are taken, would they be by sector for container shipping or for tankers uh, or by geographical areas with Europe very, very uh, tough and in, in active on your environment matters, but who covers only Europe. And that's the saddest thing which should happen is not to have a global international organization with uh, European uh, uh, having uh, European decisions only uh, affecting European ship owners or eventually international ship owners getting into French, into uh, European uh, ports. But that will, uh, that does not cover the whole of the question. For me, IMO should be the only uh, body to work. And we all, most of all, most of us say that, but it's very difficult to organize and it takes a lot of time. So I tried, I've been friend of EXA, friend of BIMCO, and it is my failure, but I'm not the one to have failed. Others before me have, and others after me may, may also fail, getting shipping together and speaking in the same voice. I think it's almost impossible. General de Gaulle saying it's impossible to drive France because there's a country with 200 uh, cheeses. Uh, it's impossible to govern them, but it's a little like shipping. We don't have... Uh, Cheeses, but you have types of shipping, nationalities, and uh, it's almost very difficult to govern, especially when you have two big entities, China and Greece, and uh, uh, who, in a way, govern the shipping world. Of course, when you uh, listen to the Greeks, uh, they will exactly say that they're a big part of the global industry. They're a very big part of the European Union um, commercial fleet but their voice uh, in the political halls is not proportionate to their, uh, anyway, but that's a different discussion. Um, but I think it goes to um, beyond Greek shipping, it goes to shipping in general, as you said, that, uh, that you know, it's very difficult right now to have uh, a coordinated effort um, to avoid the risk of uh, regional or national uh, regulations. It's very, I cannot say, but what you something different than what you say. I've tried, it's very, so difficult to create uh, this, uh, this union. Uh, and so, and it's so sad when you believe that we have so many things in common and we, we get along so well, all the shipping people worldwide, when we meet in uh, institution, when we meet in uh, the board of uh, PNI clubs, we have the same interests, we have the same way of thinking. Uh, we, we fight competition, uh, but we are total, uh, total solidarity on many issues. And yet we cannot get to talk of the same voice. And I tried, but it's almost impossible. Philippe, one of the biggest topics is decarbonization. Uh, that I, I think is what is fueling the overall discussion. So do you, and I know you have been a proponent of a number of solutions regarding how to achieve decarbonization, how to raise money for decarbonization. So can you share with us two things? If you think that uh, decarbonization is feasible, and if you can share with us your insight on these two topics on how to get there and how to finance it. Hmm. I, it's amazing how, how many of us changed the views over the last 15 years, because it, we're talking carbonization for the last three, four years, but no, we're talking these, we're addressing these issues for 15 years. At least some of us tried to make shipping aware that these things should be on the top of the agenda. 
for a lot of uh, people in shipping, and I will not mention any names or nationalities, it's, uh, uh, I've seen a lot of people dragging their feet saying, we have time, uh, uh, it's not, uh, no, let's, let's continue to, 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 to live as we are living today. Uh, no need to get annoyed when it, before, it's, before we have to. We should have been, we would have been more proactive in shipping. Maybe we would have proposed to world organizations and especially European organization who is really at the, at the lead on these, uh, on the, on these issues, uh, would have proposed regulations which would have been more suitable at least for the shipping people and acceptable by politicians. Since we did not propose anything, they took their own decision and, that, and they took decision and they will be taking decisions will, will not make us happy. And what I'm saying that, I was saying that 15 or 12 years ago at European level, and I would not really listen. I'm not proud of that, not to have been able to convince people. I'm not proud, I'm disappointed on my, my, what I did or didn't do, but I, did, I was not really helped. So, um, Decarbonization, we heard so many things. Uh, uh, we, are, uh, we heard about uh, scrubbers uh, in last years. Scrubbers, my company, we didn't go to scrubbers because we didn't, did not believe at all in the, uh, the solution. I think we were right not to, not to. We waited to see what we felt about LNG, which is par partial, effective, good solution, but not good enough because it's still, uh, and more and more people now see, and, and the World Bank is clear, clear on that, and you attend mentioning finance, uh, that LNG is not a solution. So uh, hydrogen might be the solution, it will take time, but maybe not that long as, as long as people say. Hydrogen, ammoniac, a lot of people are working on it, and that might be the solution. But maybe not, I, I, I don't know, but that's what I believe is the solution. Apart from my own baby, which I will not uh, fail to mention, the only way to decarbon, before we get uh, uh, hydrogen in a few years, that one easy way and immediate and immediately effective and cheap is to reduce the speed or the power of ships. I stick to that idea which I proposed and then tried to impose and I was not able to convince enough people to make it work but I am sure that people will it will be the solution in a way whatever happens because with all the regulations put forward by the uh, authorities worldwide or European the only the the the, um, the consequence will be that ship, ship owners will see that it's cheaper to reduce the speed of their ships than to uh, uh, get hit by regulations, whatever they are imposed by Europe or by the world. So I will be right one day. If you ask me to say in 30 years, when I come back to you to give my ideas, you will see I've, I've been right. Well, clearly slow steaming is, is one of the mechanisms and there has been a lot of discussion about that, obviously, and you have been a big proponent of that. And it's also true what you say that the industry has been reactive rather than proactive. But I think uh, there have been a number of proposals on the table. The one that you mentioned also among the very important ones. But I think the, uh, the perception is that uh, these things are evolving very slowly. And that's what gives the opportunity to uh, regional or national regulators to step in. Uh, but anyway, let me go to the next uh, topic about how to raise money for uh, decarbonization. You have ETS, you have the carbon levy and so on. And I know you have been uh, part of uh, a proposal if you would like to share that with us. It's, it is not, uh, to, to be frank, uh, even though I've been in finance for some time, I'm not sure that my value added on that issue is enormous. Uh, because today finance um, answers uh, to the main society issues is changing every day. Today, 
green finance is or should be or will be maybe in people's mind available uh, to help the world transform. Will it last? Will it last? Uh, because there's a, there's a part of, a, I would say, a fashion in, uh, in the people in finance getting along what they feel will be the, uh, the motto of today and tomorrow. And then there will be another one. It will, it will not be maybe environment because we will get to other things. So I don't know, really, I'm, I'm not sure I can answer your question as clearly as I should wish or you would wish me to do so. If you allow me to go back to decarbonization and slow steaming that you have been so passionate about, can I ask you, what are the, uh, why is it not moving forward? Uh, is it, uh, who are those forces for it and those forces against it? And, and why is it not being advancing? Look, Nicola, you follow these things. You've been following them very closely. Uh, I know you're, you're putting the question to me, but I'm putting it to you. How do you see it yourself? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm a very... Uh, uh, have a clear view on that answer. I know, how do you see it? You know, on a different level, having uh, the, uh, the opportunity to speak with a lot of people, at the end yeah. of the day, what I hear is ship owners saying, all we want is number one, we're going to adapt to whatever regulation is out there, but give us clear rules of the game. And this has not happened yet. So if you have clear rules of the game, then you can uh, decide if you want to go slow steam or no slow steam. Uh, but I think right now, obviously, there is a, a diversity of uh, opinions, strategies, options, and I think no one knows what is going on in a way. Uh, and that is what I hear from a lot of ship owners. Obviously, yeah. the uh, slow steaming is a very clear path forward. But a number of people on the other side believe that this is not the final solution when it comes to decarbonization, because slow steaming will reduce decarbonization but will not eliminate it. So if the target is elimination of decarbonization, then you need um, different objectives, different regulations, but you need some specificity and for the time being we don't have it. May I make clear something? I maybe uh, I always said that speed limitation or power limitation would, is not the solution. It is the um, uh, solution that not uh, waiting solution. Something. Uh, I, as I said, hydrogen will come maybe one day. Uh, maybe it will be LNG, who is not a decarbonization solution, but it will take time to have every port in the world or every big port in the world equipped with uh, ammoniaco hydrogen uh, 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 possibilities of, uh, of um, uh, feeding the ships. It will take time. It will take to build infrastructure, to build the... Uh, uh, the maintenance of the infrastructure. And uh, uh, so it will take years, not months, it will take years. And during these years, what do we do? Do we continue to pollute with uh, uh, better fuels than before, but still very strongly polluting uh, thing? If you put down the, it's so obvious for me, you, everybody understands it for cars and people don't seem to want to understand it for, for ships. So before we get a real solution for decarbonization, let's reduce power and speed. And people say, but then you will have to build more ships and no, nobody, I mean, to, the, nobody needs 200,000 tons of iron ore to, 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 to arrive in China on the, on the Tuesday evening instead of the Thursday. It's just a, a matter of organization. We speed, 
downspeed our ships or we down, uh, uh, downgrade the power of our ships and we pollute less, ships go slower and nobody needs, uh, I'm not talking of Febis, I'm not talking of uh, 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 liners with containers who need to deliver the strawberries on time as soon as possible, but for transportation of dry and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and wet, let's, which is a larger part of the word fleet, let's put down speed and or um, power. Philippe, we have been discussing for, for quite some time, so I don't want to prolong our discussion too long, but let me ask you a couple of questions before we conclude. Technology. Technology is a critical transforming uh, element in the industry, and you are one, uh, you have been the one who, who espoused it, you pushed the group into new technological directions. What have you experienced as being breakthrough advancements? in the past and what can we expect going forward? How do you see technology further transforming uh, shipping? Thank you, Nikola. So uh, um, when 20 years ago, uh, we decided, I decided to go to specialized high-tech shipping uh, and, and get slowly out of pure transportation. Uh, it was a, a clear will to go to high-tech shipping cable lays, uh, cable laying vessels, seismic vessel, which I did not mention earlier, all these vessels highly dependent on high technology for dynamic position, they all have that, uh, which is uh, at that time was, was not so common. So we had to know about the technology, learn about it, uh, uh, learn uh, how, how skilled the personnel to, to, to deal with it, and uh, it, it took some time. Uh, it's the same thing when we got to transport of Airbus, uh, uh, the Airbus uh, 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 airplanes. Uh, these ships are not only robots, they have a hygrometric, uh, uh, very specific, uh, due to the uh, specific condition to transport airplanes wings and cells and all these. Uh, now the, uh, the late, latest of our uh, ships are these uh, uh, logistic uh, specialized uh, maintenance logistic uh, uh, for windmills, uh, highly, highly uh, value added ships in technology. So technology is very good and uh, we use it a lot and we are we convinced that it will be the future, at least the future of uh, high uh, level uh, shipping company in the world, European shipping, uh, uh, of course, US and, uh, and Asia, but uh, uh, countries who have a high level of uh, social protection, uh, expensive flags for their ships, more and more will get to that type of shipping uh, which we were kind of pioneers, I would say, with some Scandinavian, obviously. Now a lot of people are, of course, doing that, uh, these things. Um, and it will be more and more the case. Uh, but it's not only the technology, it's also the formation and the skills of the personnel. And uh, that has to be taught in, in highly uh, um, skilled schools to, to learn to our officers to deal about these new issues, not only navigation, but many other, uh, um, many other activities on board of the ship. Our crews on board of our cable layers, they navigate the ship, obviously, they maintain the ship at sea, but they do the, uh, the uh, uh, um, computer positioning of the vessel and the cable laying. So officers in our ships, on our cable, they do the four different activities and they learn to do it and they love it. So Philippe, we've been discussing for quite some time. Uh, I would like to thank you very much for being with us today. It's been uh, obviously an extremely interesting and insightful discussion. So as we're approaching the end of our discussion, besides thanking you, let me ask you for any closing remarks you would uh, like to have. Um, I would say that I, when I look back, backwards, as you mentioned earlier, which I don't always do, I must say it's very pretentious, but I'm 
happy uh, what I've been doing with my life in sport, in the army, in uh, uh, public life and in commercial life in shipping. Uh, must say what I've tried to do and not always succeeded, especially maybe leading institutions uh, as I had the honor to do, but at least uh, I'm happy with what I've done and happy with the family I brought up and both of my children work one in my uh, in our in the shipping side with Amateur, and my daughter heads our private equity company which is doing very well um, I can say that I'm, if I looked myself in the mirror I could I'm, I'm quite happy nothing uh, uh, nothing bad about it and uh, I think that's a message maybe for others when you have ideas when you have uh, something you like in your life stand up with and fight for these ideas, for these, uh, uh, for the will you have to, to to become yourself. Fight for the values you cherish, and uh, then you will end your life happy because you can look backwards and you and you can look in front of you in the mirror and say, "Okay, I've done uh, what I wanted to do, and I have nothing to be ashamed of. I've uh, had the courage, had the loyalty, uh, the interest into people, so." I'm, I can look myself in the mirror and say, okay, you've, you've done what you wanted to do and you nothing to be ashamed of. And that's, in, I think, important for a man. Well, all I can say, Philippe, is uh, not only on behalf of Capital Link and myself, but I think on behalf of the industry, we are truly privileged to have someone like yourself um, having a public involvement beyond your, your private affairs and Really, you've left uh, a very positive mark, and uh, I just wanted to thank you very much for being with us today. May, may I one more word? It's easy what? for me to have done that because shipping is a wonderful business. Shipping people are exceptional people. They, they have things which others don't have, definitely. And that's why everyone who gets into shipping stays in shipping or come back to shipping for the, the, the quality of the people, would they be AB seamen, officers, or high, uh, very rich uh, uh, ship owners? We have something very specific which makes us get along so well together. Would, would we be any nationality, and it would be blonde, brune, uh, uh, gray hair, a Chinese, uh, a Peruvian, Greek, or French, we have many things in common and that's what counts. Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Philippe. Thank you very, very much. Thank you again. Thank you for, for, for asking us to do this experience and looking backwards or forward on our businesses. Thank you for the job you're doing for the community also. That's very kind, Philippe. And thank you coming from somebody like yourself. It's a tremendous uh, uh, comment. Thank you. Thank you, Nicola.